At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's time for our journey to begin. You walk through our forests, yet you remain a mystery. What are you? Why do you hide? In the land we call wilderness, there lives a creature that has become one legend. They call me Sasquatch. Please check the watch. This is Bigfoot. Don't get it shook. Out in Japan, they call me Godzilla. Up in Africa, King Kong Gorilla. It's about to have an unpleasant encounter with the self-styled masters of the wilderness. Matt. And I stood and watched, and uh, from around behind a big tree, there was a black deer looking at me, and it had a peaked, pointed head. A fist bump, a pound, a terrorist fist jab, the gesture everyone seems to interpret differently. We'll show you some interesting body communication and find out what it really says. I'd been out all night and got home at three, I guess, and had a, I think maybe six o'clock flight coming out of being hammered. But then you start to get hung over while you're still awake. And then I had to go get on a plane, which is just not, not the way you want to experience a flight. Mm-mm. You'd much rather be on ecstasy on a plane. <laughs> Take that from experience. Welcome to OK Talk. I'm Clinton. I'm Matt. Good to be back. Back again. A um, couple of things here. Let's little housekeeping. First of all, thank you. Dear listener, thank you. You're the reason that for the season. You know what you did. Thank you. It's uh, been awesome lately, man. It has been. It's been going really well. I'd like to throw a couple of shout outs. One to Seth Breedlove and Mark Matsky of the Sass What podcast for uh, having me on the other day. Can I officially get on the record that I'm so upset that you guys talked about Lake Worth Monster? You can, although that thing I I grew up with that with that tail because that's basically my backyard for real out there, and <laughs> I I always loved the Lake Worth monster. Well, lake Worth is one of the I spent a lot of time out on that lake. So tell me, because I don't know anything about it. I mean, you guys you guys basically you know covered the no. I mean, it's not a huge. It's not 
as far as the actual story goes, it's not a huge story, but I just always liked it because it was like... Well, it was your small town monster. Exactly. So where's Lake Worth? It's... Well, I mean, it's the lake is in Lake Worth, basically. It's Lake Worth is to the northwest of Fort Worth. Okay. So if you're heading up 199 Jacksboro Highway out, okay. of, out of Fort Worth, all right, you you hit Lake Worth, then you hit Azel, then you hit Springtown. Oh yeah, so, you're you're Springtown boy. Yeah. Um. So you have. I don't think that I ever knew where Springtown was. I I hate to be a jerk, but no. I mean, yeah. I mean, most people don't. I say north of Weatherford. People know where Weatherford is. So I say yeah. north of Weatherford, and that's that's where it is. Okay, very, so very northern edge of Parker County. So do you remember the first time that anybody ever told you about the Lake Worth monster? I was young, and I don't really remember the first time. And I didn't really put two and two together. My dad always told me stories about the Goat Man. And I think you mentioned how the Goat Man was a was a legend from all and my dad didn't know anything like he, he wasn't he didn't have a tale of the goat man he, that was just the word he used when he was trying to scare us when we were kids like oh you know we we're out at a boy scout camp that uh, was your boogeyman was the goat man basically the goat man yeah uh that or the man with the golden arm that was also another one of my dad's stories but it was really just someone's, someone's gonna creep up here in the middle of the night is he a james bond fan isn't that a isn't that a james bond movie the man gun. with the golden arm. the golden gun oh um but that was his that was his way of just scaring all the kids at uh at scout camp but uh the goat man was you know brought up frequently in my childhood but not in reference to the lake worth monster so it was one of those things that got all sort of conflated and i think it was a little while before i really figured out like oh this is an actual story um there have been a, a sighting in lake worth because for me there are a few lakes that, you know, when you go out, I used to go out fishing a lot with my dad and it was Bridgeport Lake. It was Eagle Mountain and, and Lake Worth. Um, so I had spent a little bit of time out there and you're right. Yeah, that, that was my that was my small town monster. And so to, it, it's crazy to me to think because uh, I'd always cherished that book. I always wanted that book just because that's such a weird piece of history that I wanted to have a hold of. So it was crazy to me listening and hearing Mark, hearing him talk about how he got it, how he's a, got it and he knows about it. And it was in how he said, it's one of my favorite stories. I'm like, how do you know about this? You know, like this was one of the things that me and maybe another one of my friends knew about. Right. And so in, in a way it's cool. I, I, I'm not, I'm not actually mad, but right. you know, it's, it's cool to hear that that story has that kind of legs. Well, it's funny because before we did that podcast, uh, you know, Seth and I were randomly after he was on the show or whatever, we we're talking about, you know, Texas in general. And, uh, I think he must've asked me if there was some sort of like, I think he, we were talking about Tyler and I think he asked me if we had a monster yeah, and uh, no, you know, but uh, of course, which there's is the, which is surprising. I know, right? Or as as, uh, as big of a hotbed Tyler is, apparently for for Bigfoot conferences and and things like that, it's surprising that there's no stories coming out of there. Yeah, I mean in that area. There's a few, you know, BFRO reports, and they're 
you know, people seeing something on 155, but there's no... There's no Boggy Creek. There. Yeah, there's no old school right. 70s legend. Um, but I had kind of like mentioned, you know, the Lake Worth monster. But when he asked me, you know, to do the show, um, and we were like, you know, well, let's just, you know, let's talk about Texas. Well, that other... Th- that other story with which I share was something that I found on, again, on the BFRO website while looking around for Texas stuff last year when we were just starting yeah. the show. And it stuck with me because if uh, you haven't listened to the Sass What podcast, basically there is a man and his son and they're driving down a road and they see what he thinks is a black bear. And then it stands up in the middle of the road and stands up. And the guy realizes that it's not a bear. In fact, it's a two-legged animal. And uh, he stops the car and he gets out and starts preaching the gospel at the thing. And his re- <laughs> recounting of the story, as reported on the BFRO, is very much like, think me mad if you will. But it was a, I thought it was a demon. And he's preaching the gospel at it. And then they have his son's account where he's like, my dad's crazy, but (laughs) we're just lucky that the thing didn't kill us. And basically it was a a Sasquatch-type creature that was eating a snake in the middle of the road. And it threw the snake at him and ran into the woods. And I just always thought that from the moment that I read it, the, the way that the guy spoke about, he could. It wasn't a woman, because, or it wasn't a female, because it had no breast, and there may have been a bulge in the crotch. But I didn't look at that kind of thing. I'm a man of God. I'm not looking at a Bigfoot <laughs> weenie. Not not trying to sex a Bigfoot. So, yeah, uh, we do touch on those those stories and more in the Sasquat episode, which is entitled. The Sasquatch of Texas, and I think uh, part two is going to be coming down soon because basically I dominated the podcast right. as uh, I am known to do. <laughs> uh, everyone else there had stories to report as well, but as soon as Clint got on the mic, uh, <laughs> it was game over. But no, I mean, hey, look, seriously, uh, you know, I was impressed with what Seth was doing anyway when I got in touch with him and was really stoked when I was able to talk to him. I would go so far as to say that he and I have become pretty good friends now. Um, We're working together on a project, uh, The Beast of Whitehall. And he, of course, just announced in October that the next Small Town Monsters picture is going to be The Beast of Boggy Creek. Yeah. Which is very um, exciting. Yeah, which is really cool. And that was another story, not <clears throat> not uh, not as close to home as Lake Worth. But that, was every- another, that was another one where I was like, oh, that actually, I, I'd always heard about Boggy Creek, but when I realized, oh, that was actually nearby. Yes, yeah, it's just right up the road. Yeah. It's uh, weird that, like, they had that uh, festival up there in Falk, and I was, you know, looking to go when Seth originally told me that he was going to make that announcement and, you know, it was like two and a half hours from here. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very, I'm very excited about that, but yeah, I'm, 
I'm so happy. I, I made a post about it on, on the Facebook page, but I'm really happy that we've gotten to uh, intermingle with those guys. Right. And, and, and with Shannon. Yeah. And Shannon, uh, of course, <laughs> another uh, defactor from the Sasquatch Chronicles podcast, mm-hmm. uh, has got her own thing going called Into the Fray. It's really cool. She talks about all kinds of weird stuff. She has really good guests. I mean, she's talked to David yeah. Pilates and um, just a cool chick. And Seth and Mark are awesome. And if, if for whatever reason you have found us and not yet found them, well, I don't know. I don't know what person that is. I'm talking. That just to, means but, you're my dad or something. <laughs> but if if that's the case, Myron. If, Definitely check them out. Turn this off immediately (laughs) and go check out either of those podcasts and or both. But uh, but yeah, those those folks are super cool. And just seeing that sort of interaction has helped us out. And I'm I'm glad that they seem to feel the same way about us that we feel about about them. Yeah. Little do they of their product. Little do they know that I'm just using them for their (laughs) listeners. Um that was my my goal all along. Yep. <laughs> um. So no, yeah, that's uh, it, things have been going well, and especially since uh, you know, we had some people that are of well import, um, actually say a couple of good things about us. It seems like more and more people are finding the show, and we really appreciate that. If you are one of those new people, please, please go to iTunes. Go to Stitcher, rate, review the show, hit us up on Facebook at OK Talk Show. Uh, same for Twitter, and uh, we actually got our first email. Really? Because the Gmail account is tied into the Twitter account, you know. So everything. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of emails, but they're all like notifications from Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. And uh, it's, by the way, it's uh, at OK Talk Podcast. Well, OK Talk Podcast at gmail.com. Um, but uh, not long ago, a week or two ago, I got an email from a nice gentleman who was like, hey, I just found your show, your story about Dadis O'Perry, High Sasquatch, come on down, is killing me. <laughs> it's like, that, that we aim to please. We have to please. You know, let's. I'm, I'm glad that people. It's it's interesting to me when I see some of that feedback of the different things that people latch on to. Uh, which is, I, I guess, is just the way it is. Whenever you put something out into the wild, you can't really control it. But it's 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 really funny to see the different things that people find amusing that that we did not necessarily expect. So I'll give you a little bit of inside baseball, people. Yep. Um. Matt and I are both radio professionals of some renown. Um, we uh, have a few, a few decades of experience between us. Right. And we worked together for a long time here in market number five. And, uh, and we both still do various things in said market. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because... Like, just last week, I kind of floated to people that we work with for the first time what we were up to. I wanted to get a few episodes down. I wanted to make sure that we were on point. Yeah. You know, and that it wasn't just like, hey, we put one thing up and then we didn't have anything else because 
a lot of people have one thing to say if you don't have multiple episodes in you, but it's just started to make its way through professional radio land that you and I are up to this and we're hearing from people who we've worked with throughout the years. Yeah. <laughs> and some, it's really some quality feedback as far as, uh, you know, I'm concerned. Yeah. And look, I'm not afraid to say that I always knew it was going to be great. I mean, if any of those people, everybody knew that the best show that was going on that we were around was the one we were doing off the air. Right. And that was the whole purpose of this. But it is cool to, it's cool to be doing something that we do for a living on the side and to have people who do podcasts or whatever for a hobby or, you know, for a passion that they have and um, to hear feedback from them in terms of, you know, it's really cool that you people are yeah into radio and. I was telling somebody the other day that they were asking about how you and I knew each other. And I was like, you know, um, I had a uh, technical director on a morning show who had decided that he was done with radio. (laughs) And uh, I can still remember the moment that I knew that he told me that he was done. And it wasn't like he was threatening to be done, but he was really done. That uh, I I remember standing in the hallway of my house and calling you and being like, dude, uh, yeah, it's got to be you, please. I can't I can't go on yeah. with anybody else that they may even attempt to put in the studio. Yeah. I with was me. At, I was at home at my uh, in my apartment. I remember the call. Yep, and that was I mean for me, you know, I had dabbled around in radio for several years before that, but that was really my first kind of professional foray was when we worked together at the, at the station and I had just kind of been doing part-time stuff. So that was the first time that someone was like, yo, full-time here's a, here's a a legit gig and not just working overnights or something like that. It's crazy to think that one, I would have the clout to do something like that. Well, that's the way stuff was going on back then. If I remember correctly, it was sort of the inmates running the asylum. Yeah. Well, (laughs) for, for quite a while. I mean, the fact that, I mean, I guess you're now the longest running KLIF employee, but up until that point, I was. Yeah. But, you know, we had an awesome program director at the time, and we went on to, shortly thereafter, we did the, was that 2007 that you started? 06 is when I started. Well, 06 is when I got there. No, but I mean on the morning show. I, that sounds right. I, that all runs together. But yeah, 2007, right. Because you I, were there for the election, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 08 election. Yeah. So we we got to cover the... I mean, I, I st- still, to this day, I think it's the coolest thing that I ever did professionally in terms of like, you know, we've obviously covered topics and met many celebs and all that, but... Um, getting to go to Denver to cover the election in 2008. Um, I was, you know, not only in the building for all of the convention where Clinton was speaking. And the best part about that, the thing that 
that still to this day cracks people up is that my bit was doing the terrorist fist jab, <laughs> which if you, yeah. which if you're not familiar with what a terrorist fist jab is, um, in 2008, um, Fox News reporter and former Bill O'Reilly producer Edie Hill uh-huh. is on television in the evening and a package runs where they're showing Michelle and Barack bumping fists and she goes a bump a pound a terrorist fist jab (laughs) the handshake that everyone's talking about and of course that just exploded you know the coverage that was going on between the Daily Show and Colbert you know that was like my my nightly platter into the morning show yeah. and in, in my mind there there was some producer some copywriter in messing with her in our position you know a a, a like-minded soul right <laughs> over there that that Edie had that pissed off at some point yeah that it was, was like, like hey you know this this is actually Something that yeah. terrorists use. Yeah, we definitely know that Osama bin Laden is using this handshake. I think it's a number one clear indicator that Barack Obama is against America and looking who, to destroy us. Who would come up with that on their own? I don't know, but... Unless you're... I mean, there has there have been some crazy things on that network, but that is... Quite a few. That, that is insane. So when I got out there... And it became quickly apparent that I was going to be in the midst of, you know, I mean, that was a big deal, you know, Uh, it's 2008, it's hope and change, it's Denver, Colorado, it's the convention. And within a few minutes of being there, I realized how I was going to be seeing a lot of people that are famous, are you know, noteworthy. And maybe it's one of my most brilliant acts because I guarantee you every one of those people with whom I had this interaction remembers it to this day because God knows how many times they had to deal with some dorky, dorky producer from some network or radio station or just a nerd in the hallway. But uh, on night one of the convention... I went over to, we would broadcast from McNichols Arena, which is the basketball gym, (laughs) um, in the morning. And then, obviously, we had full access passes. But uh, we didn't, we couldn't stay. I mean, this is cumulus we're talking about. We couldn't stay in Denver. So we were a little ways outside of town, as most people were. But... We had a car that we had rented between the two of us. And uh, that first night, Jeff didn't want to go back up there, which I don't blame him. But I was like, I'm going to go up there, see if I can get some sound or whatever for the show. And I'm walking through the hallways upstairs, like by where the suites are. And I'm looking for the Fox News booth. And now... I'm there with Fox News Radio, and I had been told that there was an area for Fox News Radio to go in, and we could, you know, basically, like, watch what was going on and cover the convention. Yeah. And so I'm walking around, and I see a sign that says Fox News, 
I'm like, okay, here it is. And I open the door, and it's a small, like, suite, basically, like you would, you know, at any basketball arena, you know, where normally they're 20 people in there and they're serving lobsters. And I open this door and it's completely quiet. There's a couple of TV cameras right there in front of me. And uh, it's Neil Cavuto, Alan Combs, and Carl Rove and somebody else. And they're on the air. <laughs> and I mean, they're on the air and I open the door, just walk in, yeah. you know, as they're doing a live shot from, from the uh, convention. And one of the guys turns and looks at me and he's like, you know, holds his hands out like, what are you doing? Yeah. And I was like, uh, Fox News, I'm kind of a big deal. And he's like, you know, shaking his head at me and waving his hand. And he's like, you know, he kind of walks to the door and he's like, no, 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 man. The radio booth is down there. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Y'all and I saluted Alan Combs, you know, and walked out the door. But as I'm doing radio in here. Right. <laughs> Y'all don't. Oh, you don't know how to do the radio. So as I'm walking out of that door, I it's so surreal. I turn to my left and I see this giant human walking towards me and it's Magic Johnson. And in that moment in time, you know, it's like dude, it's Magic. And I want to say something to Magic, but I don't want to say something to Magic cuz I'm too cool to be like Magic. Right. Yeah. And I mean you gotta, this is you got to you got to do something different. Yeah, this is before the day of selfie. I mean in 2008, the the selfie that I have, I took with like my actual camera, you know, yeah. did the, you know, my little digital camera. So I'm sitting there and I look at him and I just thought to myself, what am I going to do? And he's walking towards me and I just held out my hand with a fist shaped thusly. And I was like, magic, terrorist fist jab. And he cackled, <laughs> laughed like I made him laugh and he fist pounded me and i was like that's my bit that's what i'm doing here yeah so probably probably 15 to 20 people that were noteworthy got the terrorist fist jab from clint the best one being of course after the actual convention at mcnichols when obama spoke and accepted the nomination they had it at invesco where the broncos play so we go to Invesco early in the day. The greatest thing about this is, is that um, I'm sure Jeff is grumbling the whole time about it being in a football stadium. Oh, my God. <laughs> you can only imagine. You know, I mean, I'm with the Fox News crowd. I mean, every morning I'm eating breakfast with Ducey. So I'm like getting well, the Brian Kilmeade, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting the Brian Kilmeade take on the uh on the Democratic National Convention. And meanwhile, I'm like, dude, Rage Against the Machine is in town. And, you know, I'm enjoying the Denver scene. Yeah. Um, Willie Nelson at Red Rocks. Uh, it was good times. But so we go to Invesco. And fun fact, the great, great, great band, Yonder Mountain String Band, opened for Obama in that they were the first band that played that day leading all the way up to Stevie Wonder seven hours later. But yeah. the greatness of Yonder Mountain opening from Leadville, Colorado. But uh, so we had uh, we we're in the defensive coordinators booth at Invesco. Like that was where our setup was. And, you know, there are different places with different things. 
like the mid-tier, like VI, like if you're at Cowboys Stadium where they have kind of like the club level where it's like there's a bar, big bar, restaurant kind of area in there where you're not like on the concourse where concessions are, but like inside, you know, that area was uh, a place where apparently we could get food or something. So I'm walking around looking for it. We've been there for a while and uh, I'm standing by the elevators and elevator opens and some people get off and these two girls Pretty nice looking ladies get off the elevator and they're chatting to one another. And <laughs> she's like, Kanye. T- I hear them talking about Kanye. And they're basically saying that Kanye is coming up the elevator behind them. So I'm like, well, I'll just wait here for a minute. <laughs> and sure enough, the elevator opens and there's like four or five of the biggest blackest baddest mfers i've ever seen in my entire life in a circle around someone whom i can't even see right because number one kanye west is tiny right and they've created a defensive perimeter right and then the elevator opens and they all like in formation step (laughs) out and kanye isn't even looking he's like on his phone looking down at his phone and i just go Kanye, Terrace fist jab, and put my hand like kind of in between the shoulder of two of these giant humans. And Kanye, true to form, doesn't look at me, but gives me the jab. He knows. And that was my uh, fist pumping moment. I was like, yes. It was really funny, too. I was out on the like outside of McNichols and I noticed I saw John Oliver on a golf cart passing me and i was like oh you know and this is when he was still correspondent for the daily show right do you remember uh wyatt Sinak? yeah you know he's a black guy went to uh jesuit and uh so jeff and i are on a golf cart later in the day and i see wyatt and john oliver and we're driving by and i just yell out wyatt what up jesuit <laughs> and he's like turn looking at me like who is yelling my high school at me it's crazy too. You want to talk about something that's kind of scary? Like, so we got to, you know, go, and there's video of this. Like, we got to go, you know, like backstage at McNichols, like down onto the stage. And I actually am taking the little flip video recorder and I'm recording me backstage. And then I get shook down by security that's like, what are you doing back here? I'm like, oh, wait, nope. That video is online. Maybe we can post a leak to some of this YouTube stuff. But um, I was down there and Jeff and I were taking pictures of each other at the podium where like, you know, Clinton was going to speak and we walk away and I'm like, oh my gosh, where's my lanyard? My lanyard with my Fox News photo ID. Yeah. Basically, you know, Super Bowl ticket. Don't have it. I'm like, I must have taken it off and set it on that podium. Well, we turn right around, run back down there. It's gone. So I have to go to the Fox News people. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe, number one, that they gave me another one. Yeah, Invesco's sure like not happy about handing yeah, those no, out. Yeah, no, Invesco's the next day. Can you imagine the security? Yeah. Because let me just tell you, 
the you know Invesco's kind of downtown Denver, and it would be the equivalent of like them shutting down Woodall in '75 is what they did. And when we went to Invesco, we're basically you know they're running media shuttles over like completely shut down highways in the middle of the day in downtown Denver and diverting all kinds of traffic. It was a big deal, obviously. Right. And here I am. Oh, I lost my pass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, the, uh, the affiliate relations director had just so happened to be pretty good buds with her. And I got an eye roll and a head shake, and a, let me see what I can do. And was able to get back in. But, yeah, that's that was one of the coolest things that we got to do together. I know it wasn't as awesome for you being at home. Right. But. I'm there at 5 in the morning. Listen to. Well, dude, I was getting up at 2 there because sure. it was earlier. We went on the air so much earlier. We are the only people in the building when we started. That's how. You know, with the show starting at five, we showed up there at, you know, so that would be four Denver time. So we were getting there about three in the morning. Like the security guard was like asleep every day and let us in. And throughout the day, more radio shows would show up, including former KLIF employee and the man with whom I first worked on a live show. That asked me, are we cool? <laughs> the big DA? Yeah. I don't want to talk anymore inside baseball too much. That's fair. But, um, but no, th- I... that's what Matt and I do. That's how we do. That's how we we got to be um, buds. And let me tell you, we dealt with a lot of crap. <laughs> um, I think most mornings it was you and I keeping each other sane. They're a bunch of, they're a raging hurricane of nonsense going around us. And we were the eye of the hurricane, just laughing about one thing or another. Yeah. I mean, also I was living in a haunted house at the time, right around then. I got to come in and tell you about it. Yeah. That's really the genesis of this whole Uh project is if you had had a mic on us during those mornings, you're pretty much hearing what what that sounded like right although quite a few more uh flight of the concords drops or something like that going on back then so many <laughs> still trying to track down some of some of our uh some of our old tape mm-hmm. in fact hassling ducky about it is he holding on to any i think so everybody's got some somewhere i know I know. It's all spread around. It just sucks that after we, anyway, after the station, and there's a lot of a lot of good radio lost in-house. Right. Do you have access to the other stations now like we used to, like on the logger? Uh, on the logger, yeah. Yeah. So, like, you can go on the logger and get something from the ticket? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I was thinking, oh. <laughs> oh. I have something to share with you. If I have my phone on me. Of course I don't. <laughs> I just the other day I was listening to Norm and Norm was talking about a Yeti. 
Really? Yeah. <laughs> and I rolled on it like as much as I could. In what context? You know, he's like doing his like meathead of the week kind of segment where he's just talking about stupid people in the news. Uh huh. And he was basically just totally clowning on this guy. That, that thought he, he saw seen. Yeti. Yeah. And he's like reading the description, and he's talking about how the Yeti like stood there and let him draw a picture of him, basically like he <laughs> posed for him. <laughs> So, pause, because I'm going to throw that in here. Typical mainstream This is Norm Hitzkus, the great, very great Norm Hitzkus. Radio legend. Discussing the Yeti and laughing. The main thing was his eyes. They were just like the light-colored human eyes. All right. His hands and feet were proportioned to his body the same way as with humans. His body was very toned with lots of visible muscles. The creature's body shape was male, and his feet were about 18 inches long. Whoa. This is going to be a chore footlocker. <laughs> Said Mr. Lubchenco, his face was expressive, too, just like his eyes. And then we get to the meat of this encounter. Oh, I can't yeah. describe or understand how we spoke because... Well, it sounds unbelievable. I felt like we heard each other's thoughts. Whoa. It was... <laughs> yeah, it was thoughts. telepathy. What did he say then? Well, Kopchenko said that he really heard the Yeti say only one word. And that's when Lubchenko said, What's your name? And he said, quote, his voice was low. His voice was low and chesty. And the name sounded as if someone hit a tambourine twice. Taban. Taban. In shore language in Siberia, Taban means the one who wasn't discovered. This is real. Lubchenko also said he didn't have a camera on his phone. I understand that. You have one. And and the <laughs> and he said instead he made a drawing of the Yeti. Sounds like the hung Just up for a while good. here. Just he as good. A, he made a drawing of the Yeti, and he said the Yeti studied it really carefully for a while, and then drew a symbol next to the drawing. Which he says is a kind of autograph. This is crazy. This happened. This happened. Did you have the picture? You have a picture of the drawing. Right, and the signature, the little paw print. Uh, well, no, we got we got something that was drawn there. Okay. Yeti got there a caricature is. made of himself. There he is. It's a caricature. Hey, the Yeti hung around for a long time, man. That didn't take five minutes. That's not some line drawing right there. Look at that. Yeah. That looks that's good. Like, that's like the guy who sits in Jackson Square in New Orleans. He took an hour yeah. or two doing this. Yeah, he was pretty good looking, would too. Would you turn your right a little? The light's better yeah. that way. Taban. Taban. <laughs> I believe that guy. Okay, who's the meathead of the week? The guy who burned his own Ferrari because he wanted his dad to buy a new one. The parents who left their three-year-old girl at the, re the rest stop. The Indian stepson... <laughs> Who trained his parent to curse his stepmother? No. 
That's just cool. The Alabama woman trying to break back into jail. Mm. Or the Russian who met the Yeti. So speaking of uh, the Lake Worth thing and the Goat Man. Yes. Have you been to Goat Man Bridge? I have not. No, I've heard uh, a friend of mine, she was telling me about it. She's been out there and said it was really creepy. So I don't understand why this person would be the quote unquote boogeyman for you you know, like, and something that your dad would tell you the goat man's going to get you. Well, I, I don't even know if he was referencing that. I know. I think, I think goat man, much like you think boogeyman is a more generalized term. I think goat man is the same sort of thing. For real? It's just a term that people use as. So did they say that the lake worth monster was a goat because it was white or gray maybe and that's that was the thing that i that i did not put two and two together about it being a sasquatch sighting because i had always heard of it as the goat man of lake worth and every time i heard that there was a white sasquatch in texas i immediately am like bullshit yeah or the or the monster of greer island it was is the i think the title or the the name of it is the lake worth monster of greer island and but I'd always heard it referred to as a goat man. So it wasn't until I saw the cover of the book where it was drawn. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's not a goat. Like, that's not. I, I was thinking, like, what is it? Like a, a satyr or something like that? Like, yeah. I, like, what am I? I'm envisioning a guy running around with goat legs. Yeah, that's what a my dad fawn. Would, right, exactly. That's what my dad would also describe as being the goat man. Um, but so when I saw it, I was like, well, that's that's a Sasquatch. That's a Bigfoot. So it took me a long time to sort of reconcile the two. I was like, are there two monsters? Is there a goat man running around and a Sasquatch running around? Like, I could never figure... It took me a long time to figure it out. But uh, I I do think... I mean, yeah, either it was just a misnomer, like someone saw a a white thing, and that's maybe that's what their family called these monsters, called a monster is a goat man. Or there's some other legend that they're referencing that I'm not aware of. Or like I said, it it may just be a, a cultural thing. Like, I don't know if it's a southern thing to call like creatures goat men I, I don't know all right well let's go ahead and pull out put out a call that if you are if you you dear listener if uh your area has a legend of a goat man yeah let us hear from you email yeah. me okay talk podcast at gmail.com so but the thing is the goat man bridge thing is kind of a real deal yeah. Um, and that's different and that's not like a, right they're not, not they're not related man. but they're not that far apart yeah and this is why i was as i was telling them i'm not sure that's the old alton bridge which is up in denton which is north texas and you're saying lake worth is north of weatherford and i believe you because mm-hmm. i believe you <laughs> um but anyway here's the uh here's the lore of Goatman's bridge um locally the bridge is known as Goatman's bridge due to the legendary demonic satyr of the same name who is popularly believed to inhabit the forest surrounding the area legend tells of a black goat farmer who moved his family to a resident just north north of the bridge a few years later oscar washburn was known as a dependable and honest businessman north texans endearingly began to call him the goat man 
but the success of a black man was still unwelcome to many. And Klansmen in the local government turned to violence after he displayed a sign on Alton Bridge that said, quote, this way to the Goatmans. In August 1938, Klansmen crossed the bridge and kidnapped Washburn from his family. They hung a noose on old Alton Bridge and after securing it around his neck, threw him over the side. When they looked down to see if he had died, the noose was empty. In a panic, they returned to his family home and slaughtered his wife and children. Locals warn that if you cross the bridge at night without headlights, you will be met on the other side by the goat man. Ghostly figures and strange lights are also reported in the surrounding woods, as well as uh, visitors being touched, grabbed, and having rocks thrown at them. Sasquatchian. Um, and so that's basically the legend of Goatman Bridge. I'll have to ask. I'll have to ask her. My friend was. Uh, it was the the no lights thing was part of the was part of the legend, but I think she said that they got out and stood on the bridge. And, I, I went and there. Heard I, things maybe, or it, it, maybe it was just a creepy atmosphere. I mean, old bridges at night. Like you're gonna hear things. You're gonna sure. you're gonna think you see things. It is a weird area, and I mean, I've been out there in the daytime uh, a couple of different times. It's uh, you know, it's off the beaten path and everything. Yeah, but I just think it's eerie that I thought it was kind of funny that you know he's depicted as a goat on that book. The Lake Worth Monster is depicted sort of as a goat. Um, and referred to as a goat man in a lot of the reports. But, you know, there's the famous photo of the white Bigfoot. And, I mean, I'm telling you, man, I... <laughs> if you were trying to tell me that there was a white Bigfoot in America, period, especially when there's no snow around, in my head, I'm trying to think, like, horses, you know? Yeah. And now, you know... Depending on whom you believe. There are a lot of reports of like white, gray, Sasquatch type creatures. And a lot of times it seems like they're rolling solo. And so that's why I wonder if like what if the white and gray thing, if it's an age issue, like with a silverback gorilla, you know, like not all silverbacks have a silver back. Right. Like this silver on their back is... It's a maturity oh, thing. Yeah, and it's a way for them to show dominance, you know, and to let the ladies know that, hey, hey, I'm that gorilla to be messed with. And so it would make sense that then if uh, you believe that Sasquatch is just an unidentified ape species, that maybe its coloring has something to do with its age and stature. And then so what if... Like, why are all these reports of these white Bigfoot where they're, like, randomly show up in areas where there are people and, you know, it's kind of like mayhem happens for a week. Well, is it a situation where they're in a group somewhere in the wilderness and they basically get overthrown? Right. And they're kicked out of the group. And then that's when they... They attempt want, to go. They wander off somewhere else. Yeah, and they don't have anything to do. They go to where there's food. They go to where there's people. People see them. And it's not just like, hey, they're a polar bear and they're white and their environment is white and that's why they're white. Right. <laughs> which not, is, It's not a species. Right, which I could understand why the abominable snowman would be white because his environment is white. You know, even as a kid, that makes sense to me. Yeah. That, you know, 
even if you're if you're just a monster of legend and lore, it would make sense that you would blend into the environment in which you were in. It never made sense to me that there would be a, you know, like from the old school Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer abominable snowman just cruising around in, you know, greenery. It doesn't make sense. It seems like it would stick out like a sore thumb, yeah. you know? So I didn't, I, I just never... I probably, I mean, I, I rolled my eyes at that story all my life. I didn't get it at all. Now, you know, we hear that not only is the white Bigfoot just kind of a thing, and there's lots of reports. Yeah. Including in Oklahoma. Yeah. Of old gray. Yeah, so it was, and it was really, I mean, it was really that podcast that you guys did so just recently that I realized that this was a story that had some legs outside of just the local area. So I'm curious to know how many other people know about it. Also curious to know if anybody has that book. It's on one of those. The Lake Worth Monster is on. And you know what? I may need to. We may need to throw salute to. The Lake Worth Monster is discussed in Southern Fried Bigfoot. Oh, really? Which is an awesome little documentary. I'm almost positive. Okay. And if it's not, then I'm going to cut this out. But the Southern Fried Bigfoot folk like our show, and we like them. And I think that the Lake Worth Monster is discussed in that thing. And so I would say that that's why it's nationally known, because... Southern Fried Bigfoot is, you know, run on, you know, Destination America and right. in the day, the History Channel or the Travel Channel or whatever. And so, you know, most people in the area or, you know, in that are into it would have had heard tell because I'm pretty positive that it's in there. Again, if it's not, I, I don't know what else to say. So... Um, I don't know what we talked about today that was of any import other than old radio legend and Southern Fried Bigfoots of right white capacity. But uh, I do just want to circle back and say once again, you know, like our show, review it. It helps a lot. I mean, I, I think a lot of people just think that's that's just us saying, come say nice things about us. But really, I mean, that uh, it, as far as just getting us uh, exposure, that helps. And speaking of exposure, our radio show is responsible for one thing in particular. Mm. The Hotel Galvez. Mm-hmm. I received a very very nice letter from Melissa Hall who is there kind of heading up that whole ghost tour operation and right. uh, she informed me that shortly after we posted the podcast that the tours through October completely sold out and that Wyndham decided to make it a year round endeavor. I'd say that was our doing. 100%. <laughs> 100%. That is awesome though cuz it I is was, really cool. I was uh I was bummed that I was not going to be able to 
make it down there at any point in time to go check that out. So I'm I'm glad that it uh, it has been extended. And now you can. Now you can. Any time of the year. You too can legend trip with the Galveston Ghost Bride mm-hmm. at your leisure. Speaking of October, how was your Halloween? Did you do anything? Man, fun? dude. Do you do you do the trick or treating thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm telling you this. I don't ever remember being as busy as the last two weeks of October. We did something Halloweeny every, every freaking day, every day, and it's awesome. But just like I was saying, man, like I think. Uh, like you know it's a national holiday for me or whatever but like by the time october was over i was actually like kind of pleased for it to be passed because it wore me out i can imagine having a kid changes the dynamic of halloween a lot and we just you know we're always trying to do something with her you know we're just always trying to do something crazy cool with her whatever so like we seek out, you know, individual things and a lot of, you know, churches and stuff will have carnivals and what have you, trunk or treat kind of events. And so if there's any of that going on, we're going. And then between, you know, doing that and then going out to the pumpkin patch and picking pumpkins and then one night you're carving and then the next night you're carving and then the next night you're carving. And yeah. She digging it, though? Yeah, man. She, she had an awesome time. She she actually had two costumes. Her main costume was a ladybug, which was really cute. That's what she rocked on Halloween. Her other costume was a white Bigfoot. Oh my gosh. <laughs> We're going to see how yeah, of course you're going to get this, but there're going to be people that are like, "What?" <laughs> she uh she had um cheetah print pants. Okay. A tail and ears. And a Tom Brady jersey and a deflated football. <laughs> okay. I like it. Yeah. Cheetah. I like it. It is 100% my wife's doing. <laughs> not not saying it's not funny. It's funny. Yeah, that is very a, uh, imposed by the parent oh my gosh. type of costume. <laughs> and I think the first... I think the first place... One day, maybe it was like a Sunday, and she took her somewhere while I was catching up on some sleep... And she was like offended that people didn't know what she was. Well, honey, <laughs> it's high concept. Don't care. <laughs> Tom Brady's a cheater. I uh, as you shake your fist at the man. <laughs> that was such a you know. I mean, just thinking about it now, if I could go back to a point in, in my life, it would be being ten or eleven years old on Halloween night. I mean, just such a magical time that was especially with me i grew up in a small town but we had a neighborhood we grew up in a neighborhood not out and we eventually moved out to a farm in the middle of nowhere but when i was younger we were in a grid street type neighborhood so halloween night i mean my mom would go with us but that was basically kids running the neighborhood right just running up and down the street right going house to house and that was a one night where it really felt like you could do anything you wanted to. The world was yours. Exactly. Yep. Um, one of my favorite things as a kid was we had a, 
we would always do like a hayride with our youth group. We had some people there at the church that had like nice, nice, expansive land spreads out in the middle of nowhere, like Brushy Creek, deep East Texas, and going out and from being little to, you know, if you're in the youth group, you're basically like from whatever age till high school. Yeah. You know, and so from the first kind of thing you do as a youth group when you, you know, are old enough to be in it for the first time and going out on a hayride and the ghost story thing, they'd always stop it and tell, you know, ghost stories. And that's where I initially heard the hook on the door story (laughs) and all that. And just our, like the people that were involved in it were always, they were really good. And then getting to being older and then being part of the hijinks for the younger kids was cool. But so when I was, uh, it had to have been my freshman year in high school, I was in a uh, speech class and uh, we did a, like we had to do a speech on like a how-to speech, right? And so there was this girl that she did a speech on like how to cut hair. And so there was a mannequin head that she brought and she cut the mannequin's head. Well, it was great or whatever. But when she was done, I was like, what are you doing with that mannequin head? (laughs) And she was like, I don't know. I was like, can I have it? She's like, okay. (laughs) Hand that thing over. I very excitedly took said mannequin head home. And my buddies, we kind of set it on a table and looked at it and like tried to figure out what we could do with it, right? That's that's a... uh... That's a prime prop. Yeah. Yeah. You that's, know, that's a big get. Yeah. Cause I mean, I'm not going to get one anywhere. You know, the yeah. only mannequin heads that like, that were just the heads that you would see would be like in the old school wig shops, you know, downtown or something. But, uh, so the plan that we devised was thus, and this is how we spent our older years in Halloween. Oh my gosh. So I took this mannequin head and we, ran like a fishing hook through its scalp obviously attached to a fishing pole and my buddy's place like where he lived sort of a busy street or whatever is a neighborhood and uh there was a pretty substantial canopy across the street so i chunked that mannequin head attached to the fishing line over the tree and then we ran you know took the fishing pole all the way to the side of the house and had it rigged up to where when you would hit the release button on the pole, the head would drop straight down. Right. So we decorated the head as it were, um, you know, would throw ketchup on it or whatever. And, uh, just gave Brandon plenty of opportunity to use his like completely over the top hunting gear where he's got like blind blankets where it like looks like a forest floor you know (laughs) that you get underneath and so we would get on the side of the house and we'd sit there and we'd wait for cars to come and I'm talking about during the daylight hours of October yeah, and we would hit that button and that head would drop down I, I seriously I can't believe number one that we didn't cause a major accident. Right. Or that we didn't get sued because a couple of times it hit the car <laughs> um, and the car would like, I you know, would speed up or dodge it and near come up on the curb. 
there was two sets of track marks in his parents' front yard <laughs> where a car it. had dodged it. But by the time, like, we got it to a point where it was so expertly done that by the time Halloween came around and it was trick-or-treat night, and you had kids out there You're now. Dropping that thing on people. Yeah, dropping it. And we would, we did a few different experiments with it where we would, drop it and one of us would scream bloody murder you know try to imitate a human scream but it's funny because that that mannequin head is still with me to this day was it right side up or upside down right side up yeah i ran that line like right, right at right the, top the top of its head so like i even took like red you know construction paper and taped it around where the neck cutoff was. So it, I mean, right, it looked, looked like, like a severed head. Like, yeah. But the thing is, is, the thing probably weighed like five pounds, you know? I mean, it was, you know, it's not a, it's not a like a, a plaster mask or something that you would probably get. styrofoam. No. Yeah. No, it would drop down. And man, I, I can specifically remember the noise that it made the first hood windshield it hit because I was like, oh my Lord. We're so in trouble for that. <laughs> but but since being used in Halloween hijinks, that mannequin head has been used to, oh my gosh, freak people out that were asleep in their bed. Sure. By placing it on the pillow next to them, yeah. very close to their face. Very classic. And then making some sort of a loud noise so that they open their eyes and see a lifeless head next to them um it also may or may not have been used to imitate a sleeping clint in a bed a time or two very uh, alcatraz yeah yeah and basically anything that we could think of where there was need oh well it was an hov lane accompaniment oh well yeah so as you're getting older this is yeah i put that thing this is still finding some use and for a while, and I guess it was when I was working downtown and I had to take, the, you know, I would try to roll the HOV line on 635. And I one day just took like a broomstick and put it on the end of the broom because it kind of had like a hole at the base of the neck, you know? Yeah. And so I set it on a broomstick and then just like had it in the seat next to me so that if you were in the back, you know, like profile, it definitely looked like there was another head. That was my favorite little Halloween prank. Man, again, it's one of those kinds of things that we're lucky we didn't kill anybody or get killed or somebody jump out of their car pissed off at us and shoot us. I feel like you couldn't get away with that. Although you couldn't see us. I'm not kidding. Like that blanket that Brandon had, we we were in a blind. Like you could have been a foot away from us and not seen us because, you know, we were running fishing line. And had it so that, like, you know, we're coming up beside the house and we're all underneath this thing and the pole is underneath there. You couldn't see us. Yeah. You know? Now, probably after, you know, we smacked your car with it or after we... Man, the the sound of the brakes of someone that was driving and then just a... <laughs> like, immediate stop, you know? You could probably see the leaves like jiggling up and down as we all right. Everybody's giggling, giggling underneath there. It probably wouldn't. If someone had tried, it probably would not have been too hard to track you down. You're so lucky. 
so lucky it didn't. Were there houses when you were trick-or-treating that actively tried to frighten children? My my uh, my running mate who lived directly across the street from me, his dad did. And his bit was, they're one of the only houses that at the time that I knew that had like the full-on intercom system. You know, where you could be in any room and push a button and talk to another room or you could talk to all the rooms or whatever. And there was a, you know, one of those boxes outside. And uh, one year I went, you know, I would always get dressed and then go over there and we always trick or treated together. And I remember specifically ringing the doorbell over there. And there was like a devil mask on the, like next to the door, like a pretty scary looking mask. And then it's like, hello. And he had it right over that speaker. And I turned and ran back to the house. I was completely flipped out. Brilliant. And Jerry was very big on terrifying little children. He was a big fan of it. And so it wasn't as, uh, it wasn't as bad since I was usually in on his hijinks because he was my, yeah, you know. there was a there was a house down the street. I believe it was the superintendent of the schools that did this. The Super Nintendo Chalmers. Yep. Um, he had. If I remember correctly, it was a gorilla suit, like a legit gorilla suit. And his bit was he had sort of a covered porch, and there was a walkway up, or a you know like a little yeah walkway up from the street up to the porch and he would have a table sitting there mm-hmm. and there would be two pieces of candy on the table. That's it. And he's sitting back behind it with the, in his gorilla suit, just motionless. And your, your job was to go up there and grab that piece, piece of candy. Do you have the gorilla suit nuts to approach <laughs> candy. the candy? And of course, every time when you reach for it, he'd, slam the table or grab your hand or something like that and everybody run off. And you knew it was going to happen and it still scared you to no end. Exactly. And all my years I've wanted to replicate that bit. I've not yet gotten around to that. But we in our neighborhood have taken up the mantle of being that house for the last few years of being the house to you and Megan. Yes. And it's been a lot of fun. The two previous years we had the garage open and I would did you have like a hell house in the garage, like on King of the Hill? Basically, well, yeah, I mean, it was not anything where you walk through, but I would basically, where the garage door stops, you know, when it when it opens, so kind of, you know, a quarter of the way into the garage, uh-huh. I would use that as my point, and I would hang trash bags that I cut open all the way around, so basically just blacking out a big part of the garage. Mm-hmm. And then inside, in, in that area that was open, we would put whatever, so the first year we did it. We found these really creepy pig masks. They look like real pigs' faces. I've seen one of your pig masks. <laughs> and uh, They are creepy. So we found those, and we kind of did just... We just put the mask on and then put a hoodie over them. That's enough to terrify a child, a pig yeah. man. And it was completely dark in there, and we had one red light bulb hanging from the from the top. Okay. And then like a strobe light underneath the table. <laughs> And we had so many people not coming up that year or you just not not even wanting. I can't imagine why. <laughs> so the next year. You're playing like actual noises of a pig dying over the oh, stereo. Yeah, yeah, I searched everything I could on YouTube of just women screaming and <laughs> chainsaws and whatever else going on. 
So we had that, and then the next year we did the same bit where I blacked out the garage, and this time we blew up uh, like, I don't know, 100 balloons. And I found this really kind of almost handmade-looking clown mask. So I had that going and a weird-looking shirt and a big machete-looking knife. I mean, it was all plastic, obviously. Um, And so we did that bit uh, last year. So this year we didn't get so uh, elaborate, but... We heard kids. I had the windows open, and we still wore some creepy masks and had a strobe light going on the inside, but they had to come up to the door this time. And we heard kids outside as they were walking up to the house. One kid said, this is the haunted house. This nice. is the haunted house. And another one was walking up and saying, there's somebody in that garage. He's telling his friends. Like, his friends are... There's always someone in there, yeah. and they wear a pig mask, and they <laughs> weird me out. Yeah. He's telling his friends. He's like, all right, there's somebody in that garage. Watch out. Somebody's going to jump out of the garage. We We didn't. Like that wasn't our bet this year, but I was I was very pleased to know that we had become legend, legendary am, in I the neighborhood. <laughs> yes, yes. That's funny that you said that about the the guy in the gorilla suit acting motionless because I went on a ghost walk in it wasn't in London proper. Maybe it was a uh, oh yeah, it was uh, in Stratford. Upon Avon, mm-hmm. home of William Shakespeare, <laughs> Sir Francis Bacon. And uh, there, you know, they had one of the, it was like little set up there, show up at this time kind of thing. And there was a, you know, like a dummy of a person, like a grim reaper. Yeah. And, but it really was a person and man. Sat there motionless the entire time until right about when it was time for the thing to start and stood up and I saw grown people run. (laughs) I mean, it flipped me out, but it's effective. It scared the pants off some folks, which is a good thing. It's funny, too. You can't really wear a gorilla suit. For Halloween. You can't be Chewbacca in Texas. No. You know why? Because you'll get shot. Because people will think you are Bigfoot. Yeah. I'm convinced of it now. That as much as maybe my body structure would lend me to be the perfect Chewy. It would be an amazing costume for you. Right. I would be terrified that that would be the day that somebody would be like, holy shit, there he is. <laughs> Got one. We're going to get a body. <laughs> Taking him down. All right. Listen to the show. Like the show. Be the show. Facebook.com slash OK Talk Show. Like us there. I I try to post stuff, uh, you know, relatively often there. And if you want to send us a message, that's a good way to do it. Twitter at OK Talk Show. Mm-hmm. I'm very active on that thing. And then sort OK of. Okay, talk podcast at gmail.com if you want to hit us the old fashioned route. Um, yeah, it, uh, you know, it means a lot to us. Just even, even a like means quite a bit to us. So we appreciate it all and share it with your friends. Okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the American Progressive Bluegrass Group, Yonder Mountain String Band.
It's a cold, cold moon out tonight And it's a cold, cold point on your night Could I call myself a man if I left by the morning line And I'd be 40 miles from Denver when you woke up all alone I'd be 40 miles from Denver and three days from my home In that cool mountain air on an Appalachian trail Whoa, life is better there doorstep of history. Let's grab that knob, let's turn it, and let's throw that sucker open. We're from Nederland, Colorado. We're really honored to be here today. It's an understatement to say we're honored. My mom's at home crying right now.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20.